Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Friends, welcome back to our sermon series. It's called Life in the Wilderness. We are reading through, preaching through the book of Exodus. The last two Sundays, we covered the first 19 chapters of Exodus, the story of how God rescued his people. And I want you to remember that Exodus is about two things, rescue and relationship. So the first half of the book is about rescue. We've talked about that, about how God rescued the Hebrew baby boys from genocide, about how God rescued the Israelites out of slavery, about how God is rescuing them from their hunger and their thirst in the desert. The second half of the book of Exodus from chapter 19 and 20 all the way to the end in chapter 40 is about relationship. And so this week and next week, we are talking about God's relationship with God's people. So when we left off last week, God had delivered Moses and the Israelites out of Egypt, out from under the cruel hand of the Pharaoh and through the Red Sea into the wilderness. And if we're the Israelites, we are breathing a sigh of relief, right? (sighs) Yes, we, we made it. Here we are. We have arrived finally. But, but you knew there was a but, didn't you? It turns out this is not an ending. It turns out this is a beginning. I wonder if you've ever been through some journey in your life, some some battle, uh, and you get to the other side and your first thought is, yes, it's over. I, I made it. But then you realize, oh, okay, this is actually a beginning and not just an ending. And it turns out we're not crossing the finish line. We're crossing the starting line. And so there's some grumbling and there's some complaining about that. But there's also an opportunity, isn't there? Yeah, the opportunity for Israel, the opportunity for us to have an identity, to to be a community, to have a relationship with the God who rescues us. As we listen to the story and and unpack it, I want you to notice this refrain that comes back again and again. This is the truth of the second half of the book of Exodus, that God demands our allegiance and God desires our relationship. God demands our allegiance and God desires our relationship. So we pick up the story in chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 3 through 6. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine. But... You shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. Okay, look at this with me. 
God is talking to Moses, and right, Moses is the intermediary. He's the go-between between God and the Israelites, and this is what he's supposed to say to the people from God. God said, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians. Okay, don't forget. Don't forget how I bore you. I lifted you up on eagle's wings, and I brought you out of slavery and to myself. God says, look at my strength. Look at my power. Look at my mercy. I've saved you. You were lost and I rescued you. Therefore, God says, if you obey my voice and if you keep my covenant, you will have a special role in my kingdom. God says, look, everything belongs to me. (laughs) The whole earth is mine. Everything you can see, everything you can touch, God says, belongs to me because I made it all. But I'm willing to let you join me as as co-creators in making this new nation called Israel. You can partner with me and have a special role in my kingdom. You will be a nation of holy priests. And so we're reminded that God's people are, are to be holy, to be righteous, to be set aside for the purposes of God. Now notice, not set above anyone else, We're not better than anyone else, are we? But we are set aside for God's purposes. And God calls God's people to be priests. All of us, all of us are priests. Remember what a priest does, friends. A priest is someone who connects people to God. Now, isn't that the job of every believer? Yes, by virtue of your baptism, you are a priest who helps connect people to God. Now, what does God require of us in order to do this? Well, look at the same reading again from verse five. God says, if you obey me and keep my covenant. Okay, if we obey God and if we keep God's covenant. You see, God wants to make his people first among the world, right? He said, everything in the world is mine, but you could be first among all of these people. But Here's what God asks in return, that we make God first in our lives. And this is the truth of God's love for his people. God demands our allegiance and God desires our relationship. God demands our allegiance and God desires our relationship. Friends, God says, you will obey me. If we accept the Lord as our God, obedience is not optional. And I know these days it is not cool to talk about obedience and to talk about discipline and to talk about submitting ourselves to someone else. But in our relationship with God, that's how it works because God is God and we're not. That's a good thing, isn't it? That's a really good thing. And so God demands our allegiance. But but God also desires our relationship. God wants a relationship with us. And the word that we use for this relationship is Covenant. Say that with me. Covenant. Covenant is the nature of God's relationship with us. A covenant is a promise. God promises to be our God no matter what, to love us unconditionally, to to save us even though we don't deserve it. And we are invited to love God and other people the same way in return. Which means, which means covenant is different than contract, right? 
covenant is different than contract. Contracts can be dissolved at any time when one party or the other defaults. You hire a, a kid to mow your lawn and, and that person doesn't mow your lawn, you're not going to pay, right? Or if you don't pay, they're not going to keep coming back and mowing your lawn. The contract is void. And that's fine. That's the way it's supposed to work. But covenant means I love you no matter how you treat me. It means you love me no matter how I treat you. Now that's different, isn't it? And now this is a really important distinction, friends, between covenant and contract, especially right now when we see the way people are treating each other in the world, it breaks our heart. And the reason it's so bad is because the, the world operates on a contract basis, right? People say, well, I'll treat you the way you treat me. And if you do something that offends me, then I'm going to criticize you or I will even harm you. And there is vengeance and there is retribution and there's even violence and it breaks our heart. But we're called to be different, friends. We've got to be a different kind of witness to the world because in God's kingdom, things are different, aren't they? Covenant means we love no matter what. Covenant means we have compassion and kindness and mercy toward others, regardless of how they treat us. Now, this is the character of God, and therefore, this is the character of the people of God. And we say, oh, Lord, this seems impossible. And it might feel impossible, but it's not impossible. Because this is exactly how God loves us, isn't it? Covenant is how God loves us. God always keeps his promises. Always. God always keeps his promises. So that's chapter 19. And in the very next chapter of Exodus, we have a concrete expression, a pun intended, of this covenant in the form of the Ten Commandments on stone tablets. Okay, so Moses goes up on the mountain to meet God, and God gives the law. So this is Exodus chapter 20, and I'm going to start around verse 2 and kind of Pick out the highlights here all the way up to verse 17. God said, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord, your God. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not cover your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, or your neighbor's donkey. Okay, so this is the sign of the covenant that God gave to Moses. And remembering that the Ten Commandments are, are about covenant is really, really important. Okay, we're going to come back to this idea of covenant over and over again. Because as human beings, I find sometimes we fall in love with the rules, don't we? And my mom used to say, oh, Brad, you're such a rule follower. And I do. I, I love boundaries. I love to know what to expect. You know, we, we love rules. We love lists. And so we especially love lists of rules, right? Where are, my, where are my rule followers at? Are you out there? I know you're out there. But here's the catch about the Ten Commandments. We cannot simply take this list of rules out of the story of Exodus and, and stick them on the wall some, somewhere and expect them to work. Okay, notice what God says even before giving the first commandment. 
about having no other gods. God says, first, this is the first thing God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Right? God's saying, remember who I am. Remember who you are. We have history together. We are in a relationship. And God says, what I'm about to tell you then is in the context of this relationship. The Ten Commandments are a sign of the covenant. Okay, they're rules, yes. But more importantly, they are markers of the relationship. This is the character of the relationship between God and God's people. This is how it will go. And the first four commandments are really particularly about the relationship between God and people. And notice the next six commandments are about the people's relationship with each other. Right? So how do we treat God and how do we treat our neighbor? Remember, God demands our allegiance and God desires our relationship. God wants to be first in your life. If you've never considered that, friends, just take a moment and chew on that. God wants to be first in your life. God wants you to put him above everything else in your life. It turns out the commandments are not optional, right? As some people have said, these are not the 10 suggestions. These are the 10 commandments. But the point is not just following some rules, is it? The point is fostering a relationship. And when we do these things, when we keep the Lord's commands, we find ourselves falling even more deeply in love with God. And it is an awesome and incredible thing. And maybe a bit unexpected because maybe we didn't think that the law could somehow lead to love, but that's how God's law works. The the law of God gives room for love to flourish. So God not only gives the Ten Commandments, but then in the following chapters, God lays out a bunch of details of the law. Laws about personal injury, about property, about social responsibility, about festivals, and especially about worship. And the list goes on and on and on. So long, in fact, that the people are getting tired of waiting for Moses to come down the mountain. And so no sooner does God give Moses the law than the people are breaking that same law. And so if you get through uh, the description of the law, starting in chapter 20 and going all the way up through the early 30s chapters of Exodus, we come to uh, chapter 33. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, they said, come make gods for us. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings. He took the gold from them, formed it into a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and burnt offerings and brought sacrifices and ate and drank and reveled. Oops. Oops. The Lord said to the people, okay, look, no other gods, okay? No idols, no worshiping statues. And the people were like, yeah, cool. Yeah, okay, we won't do that. And then five seconds later, oops, Lord, uh, you know that thing you told us not to do? Yeah, we did, we did the thing. Sorry about that. 
And uh, we, can, we can imagine that maybe sometimes God feels like the parent of a toddler, right? Uh, I told you not to do that. I just told you. And then you went and did it. Sometimes we can be so selfish and so immature and so impatient. And we are like little children, aren't we? We're like little children. And God was not pleased. God was not pleased. Chapter 33, verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it. Notice how frustrated God is. God is so frustrated that he refers to the Israelites as your people, Moses. These are your people. That's your community down there. That, That must not be my children. I taught my children better than that. Moses, go talk to your people. And uh, these people who you brought out of the land of Egypt, Moses, how quick they are to turn away from what I have done for them. And God is ready to wash his hands, right? He's ready to wash his hands and say, forget it. Their lack of faith is astounding. It's like they forgot what God had just done for them in the preceding days. You know, we read this story about the golden calf, and uh, I think at its face value, it feels quaint to us, even archaic. And we think, ah, man, whatever, don't worry about that. Nobody goes around making gold statues. Not so fast, friends, not so fast. The golden calf is a huge problem, okay? Not just for the ancient Israelites. We can see how it's a problem for them. Uh, It's also a problem for us. The problem with the golden calf is the problem of idolatry, idolatry. Idolatry happens when we try to replace God with something that is not God. When we introduce little g gods into our lives and we worship those little g gods instead of worshiping the one true God. Now, we don't have gold statues, right? But we've got plenty of idols. We've got plenty of idols. Food, sex, fitness, politicians, presidents, our own opinions, our children, our grandchildren, anything that we put in a place of higher importance than God is an idol. And it is a direct violation of the Ten Commandments. And idolatry is sneaky, friends. It's very very deceiving uh, because it has the outward form of religion. And it often, it often feels good to us, but it does not leave us in right relationship with the God who rescued us. This is what God said to Moses after this incident with the golden calf, verse 10 of chapter 33. God said, now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them, against the people, and I may consume them. That's how mad God is. Verse 11, but Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? So Moses is reminding him, Lord, this is what you did, right? And then he says in verse 12, turn from your fierce wrath 
Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. Verse 14, and the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. So God was ready to destroy Israel, right? He is frustrated beyond belief. They have immediately violated the commandments immediately after God has given them. But Moses, the leader, intercedes on their behalf and he pleads with the Lord, Lord, please turn away from your wrath. Lord, please forgive us. We are sorry. Remember your promise to us. Remember that you are the one who has saved us. God, don't don't let the Egyptians find out about you destroying us and then mock us and mock you. Show them, after all, that you are mighty and powerful and merciful. And the story says the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. Friends, remember, prayer works. Prayer works. When the leaders pray, when the people pray, God is merciful to his people. Remember our refrain, God demands our allegiance and God desires our relationship. God was ready to destroy Israel because they were not loyal, because they were not committed to the living God. And yet he had mercy on them because he desires their relationship. This is God's grace for us. We we are commanded to obey, but again, friends, not for obedience sake, but for the sake of relationship with the God who rescued us. The most important lesson in the school of the wilderness is learning how to depend on God. Remember their situation, the Israelites had. They're in the desert, okay? They got no house, they got no food, they got no temple. All they had was God. And so God provided for them. And their job was to learn how to depend on God. Now, let me suggest to you, that's not too far off from our situation right now, is it? I'm not trying to be dramatic, but I want to acknowledge we've been through some tough times. And how are we going to get through this? We, we have no cure for the coronavirus. We have no fix for racial injustices. We can't prevent riots. We have no way to control the actions or the thoughts of other people. What can we do? We can learn to depend on God. We can learn to depend on God. You know, one of the things I love about Timberlake Church, one of the things I love about you is just, you are a people who get things done. You know, as soon as I ask for help, there's a hundred people lined up, ready to serve. You, You are problem solvers, you are givers, you are doers. And I love that so much about our church. But, (laughs) they knew there was a but, didn't you? The situation we are facing is difficult because our usual problem-solving strategies don't work, do they? We, We can't fix the coronavirus. We cannot fix racial injustice. We cannot fix political division and mistrust and the brokenness of people and of relationships. So here's what I want to suggest to us 
Timberlake Church, for today and for this week and for this season of our lives? What would happen if we quit focusing so much on the how, on the strategy, on the solution, on the plan about how we're going to fix these things? And let's focus more on the who. Who is it that is going to deliver us from these things? Who is it that is going to rescue us and save us and bless us and transform us so that we can be part of the new thing that is happening in the kingdom? And of course, only the living God. Only the living God, friends. Let me invite you to quit focusing so much on the how and focus more on the who and who it is that is going to deliver his people. There's only one. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the God of the midwives and of Moses. It's the God who delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. It's the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And here's the good news, friends. That God, the one and only God, desires a covenant relationship with you with you. Say amen if you can. Amen.